bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Welcome, everyone. We're glad you can join us. It's November 2nd, and I'm Paul Dragu. The globalists continue to use Africa as its testing ground. The latest comes out of Kenya, where Bill Gates worked with leaders behind closed doors to implement a nationwide digital ID program pilot. Also, China amassed a number of warplanes near Taiwan yesterday. Is another war about to erupt? And the New American's resident AI expert will discuss what Biden's recent AI executive order means for free enterprise. We have those stories coming up, plus a discussion with Christian Gomez about the latest legislative alert that you can use. But first, homeschooling was once fringe. Now, it's America's fastest growing form of education. That's what an in-depth report published on Tuesday by the Washington Post found. The Post collected data from thousands of American school districts. The popularity of homeschooling was supposed to be a passing trend. It was supposed to die out the further away we moved from the COVID era. But that's not what happened at all. While the trend did deflate a bit from its COVID peak, it never returned to its pre-COVID levels, not even close. Since the 2017-2018 school year, parents have embraced homeschooling at record levels. In New York, there's been a 103% increase in homeschooling. Washington, D.C. managed even better with a 108% increase. California, where the fruits and nuts have taken over, hosted an increase of 78% in homeschooling, right there with Tennessee's 77 and Florida's 72%. Of the 10 districts with the most homeschool kids in America, the report found that nine of them are in Florida. But the state where homeschooling has grown the fastest is New York, where 52,000 students are now being taught by their parents. The Post estimates there could be up to 2.7 million students being homeschooled in America. That's up from 1.5 million in 2019. The spike has, unsurprisingly, triggered the control freaks and the statists. The Coalition for Responsible Home Education is urging greater oversight. A former Harvard Law School professor told The Post, we should worry about whether they're learning anything. Given what's going on in government schools, the former professor should direct her concern there. Others are concerned that homeschooling drains government school resources, since funding is often tied directly to enrollment, and they should be. Pulling kids out of public schools is one of the best ways to defund the corrupt and inept Department of Education. Government schooling, or public education, as the euphemism goes, was not always the norm in the United States. The first generations of Americans were educated elsehow, and they created the foundation of the most prosperous and freest people ever. It was in the 20th century when government schooling became the norm. We argue that government so-called education is a main reason for the erosion of the American Republic. Government education was the brainchild of socialists like Horace Mann and Thomas Dewey. Their vision was to create little socialist drones that would help turn the U.S. into a socialist nation, and they've been wildly successful. The New American has dedicated lots of ink to warning about government schools, including through our special education issues. And our parent company, the John Birch Society, created the Save Our Children from Public Schools Action Project. Here's more on that from the CEO of the JBS, Bill Hahn. Perhaps no subject is closer to each of our hearts than the well-being of our children. If you followed any of what's been going on in public schools, then you know parents and grandparents across the nation have serious concerns about what is being taught to our students. From the Marxist critical race theory 
to the revisionist history of the 1619 Project, to the very deliberate efforts to cause confusion about a child's gender and the blatant promotion of immorality, today's public schools are nothing like the schools we used to attend. In our special report on education from the New American Magazine, we ask if the public school building was on fire and your children or grandchildren were inside, what would you do? Of course, we'd run in and save the children from that burning building. Now that report explains through example after example of how public education is figuratively on fire. Knowing how this affects the impressionable minds of our kids, the John Birch Society is now recommending getting your kids out of the public school system. Joining me to discuss today's stories is Editor-in-Chief of the New American Magazine, Gary Benoit, and the John Birch Society Research Manager, Christian Gomez. Hi, Welcome Tom. back, gentlemen. It's great to have Thank you. you. Thank you. Um, so this is obviously great news. This is something that's near and dear to our heart. But I gather now that this has become a permanent trend, uh, the deep state apparatus, the power elites, they're not going to just let this go. Um, I expect that we're going to see a more robust assault on government schools. What do you think, Gary? Well, I think they will, will do everything they can to try to prevent the homeschooling movement. But they've been doing that all along, Paul. And, and the fact that it's growing despite their efforts, uh, I think, is really encouraging. It, it shows that there is promise. Mm. It shows that there really is hope for saving our Christian style Civilization. I mean, let's keep in mind, too, that if you look at the totalitarians such as Hitler or others, what, what do they do? They, they try to take control of the children. They ban To, uh, to uh, control the minds of, of the children. Uh, yeah, they even ban things like the Boy Scouts, although the Boy Scouts has been, you know, subverted to a degree today. But uh, Well, they banned uh, any other form of uh, education other than, yeah. than government-sponsored. What, what did you want to add here? Christian? I just wanted to uh, uh, remind our audiences that it, the uh, laws against homeschooling in Germany were initially passed under the Nazi regime, yes. and those laws were one of the few laws that, that still hold up. That still holds right. up under Isn't the so-called anti-Nazi German really government. Good point. Yeah, because they wanted to create right. a bunch of Nazis. That's really yeah. what it was well, about. We're not allowing that to happen, Paul. Well, uh, yeah. we are refusing to allow allow that to happen. And of course, it's not just homeschooling. Uh, even though there are bad private schools. Uh, bad religious schools. They're also good religious private schools. Absolutely. I mean, and, you said and so kids. you'd have to add that to the homeschooling numbers. And uh, the point is, we really are fighting for our children, and we're not allowing today's Nazis to uh, take over our kids. Right. I mean, this is about the the future, and they're going to be terrified when they see that a large segment of the future of America is not going to be going to, into their indoctrination camps. We do have three minutes left. I want to touch on one of the things that I kept reading in here, and, and I, I hinted at it, and that being this idea that kids who are homeschooled are not as smart, or they don't learn as much <laughs> as they do in government schools. Isn't that the most insanely ironic thing to say, considering what all is happening? I'm going to let you go, Christian, first, because <laughs> I, I can see you both are chomping at the bit here. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a far gone. Um, well, it's it's a well-known fact that homeschoolers outperform in math scores, SAT scores. Um, their literacy rates are, are much higher. Um, homeschool students are, are, are reading at higher levels than the majority, not all, but the majority of public school kids who most of them can't even write their own names legibly on a sheet of paper. Uh, so to say that homeschoolers are sitting at home eating a bag of chips, you know, not doing anything, not learning anything, that is not the reality. In fact, it's mostly in the public schools where the kids are 
uh, getting away with lawlessness where, where the teachers are, 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 are handicapped from even trying to teach effectively because of the curriculum or any um, uh, attempt that they may try to impose to have uh, uh, order in the classroom if students a a yeah. act, act up. And they apply this one size fits all and that doesn't do the kids any good too. Now Gary, I mean, I think what's lost on a lot of people is that parents who are willing to go through the trouble of homeschooling I don't see those parents as being the kind who are then just going to sit around and, you know, sleep in and let their kids do whatever. The type of parent who's willing to homeschool, that's the type of parent that's likely to get more involved and to turn out a better better uh, uh, contributor to society. Would you agree? Oh, I agree. Absolutely. And as a matter of fact, we see that happening in practice. But I'd like to point to one other fundamental difference between government schooling and uh, homeschooling. And that is in the government schools, the kids are taught what to think. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's putting it nicely. They're, they're really programmed, mm -hmm. uh, programmed to think a, a certain way, uh, to believe fake news, for example, to, to believe, believe whatever the, uh, uh, the opinion, opinion cartel tells them. But uh, in private education, uh, homeschooling in particular, kids are taught how to think. And that is a fundamental difference. Absolutely. I mean, my, my child is, is homeschooled, and we make sure to emphasize, to emphasize that. It's like, why do you believe that? What, what, you know, whenever he says something or he discovers something, we always dive a little deeper. So this is a great trend. By the way, we do also have an online school. That is Freedom Project Academy uh, for those who, who maybe want to try that instead of homeschooling. But we highly, highly recommend you get your kids out of public schools. After this, we're going to talk about Biden's new AI executive order and what it means for free enterprise. All right, parents, listen up. We've all seen the countless examples of how radical, radical leftists have been destroying American schools. It's no longer just about the terrible math and reading levels. Now, radical left teachers birthed from liberal universities are forcing gender indoctrination in, in kindergarten. They're teaching lessons on white guilt. Freedom Project Academy has perfected live on online learning over the course of a decade. I get a ton of great feedback about this program, a ton. They're built on Judeo-Christian values, a classical curriculum. What does that mean? It means they're taught, your children are taught, taught the way that the founding generations of the country. My own son Noah did Freedom Project Academy for uh, several years uh, when he was younger. The more we tell our friends about these things, the more people will get on board. And I, and I believe that we can be the catalyst to some real change. We must save the West. Our way of life and our culture is under attack. And because of patriots like you and your project, I have optimism for the future. On September 13, the U.S. Senate hosted its first AI Insight Forum. More than 60 senators and some two dozen execs from big tech attended. The point of the forum was to answer the question, how should government regulate artificial intelligence? Democratic Senator Chuck Schumer described the conference as historic. As, uh, as some of the people who came out said, it was historic. Um, we got some consensus on some things. First, I asked everyone in the room, is, does, is government needed to play a role in regulating AI? And every single person raised their hands, even though they had diverse views. So that gives us a message here that we have to try to act, as difficult as the process may be. Biden warned in September that he would issue an executive order in the fall, and now he has delivered on his promise. 
The new AI executive order is far-reaching. It starts out with the demand that AI developers, quote, share their safety test results and critical information with the U.S. government. It justifies this interference in private property and enterprise with the Defense Production Act. The executive order is more than 100 pages long. It establishes a cybersecurity program to develop AI tools to find and fix vulnerabilities in critical software. It will create a national security memorandum that directs further actions on AI and security. It also ensures equity and combats algorithmic discrimination through coordination between the Department of Justice and federal civil rights offices. Nothing to worry about there. In addition to its other provisions, the order says the government will protect against the risks of using AI to engineer dangerous biological materials. Like all government regulation, this order will allow the government to strangle the innovative power of the free enterprise to produce goods and services. It will do this by preventing new market entrants while protecting politically favored enterprises. This is why big tech asks for regulation, to protect themselves from competition. The AI executive order is the best example of the dangerous centralization of legislative power. As George Mason University professor of law, Elia Salmin, pointed out a few years ago, federal agencies now regulate almost every aspect of American life. If the president has near total control over them, he or she has much greater power than originally granted more than can safely be entrusted to any one person. James Madison, who elaborated on this at length in The Federalist, pointed to a warning from the great legal theorist and philosopher Montesquieu. Montesquieu wrote, when the legislative and executive powers are united in the same person or in the same body of magistrates, there can be no liberty. From politicized raids by federal agents to heavy-handed IRS tactics, to government-coerced censorship and political manipulation of science. We are fast approaching the combination of powers that Montesquieu and Madison worried about. All right, so I have the publisher of The New American, Dennis Barrett, joining me for this segment. Dennis, you literally wrote the book on this, <laughs> uh, by the way, which is Endgame, and it has a very long subtitle that I almost don't remember. Do right. you remember it? I can't even remember it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I think the most obvious question here is, what is more dangerous, the aggregation of uh, government power that we pointed out there or the potential for Terminator-esque type assault yeah. by AI? I think that's what most yep. people want to know, right? Absolutely, the aggregation of government power because it makes the prospect of a Terminator-style assault from AI much more likely. Ah, because they think they're doing it exactly to prevent that. How do you figure it would be the opposite? The way it works is this. If it's completely unregulated in the free market, Paul, what will happen is that market entrants will be working very hard to ensure whatever they design in the AI space or any other technological space addresses the needs of the market. Now, the market doesn't need uh, an AI Terminator to come in and wipe it out. That's not going to be demanded by the market. And so market pressures will cause developers to develop useful tools, not harmful ones. But the express purpose for this regulation, for this executive order, was demanded by the big tech themselves in order to prevent market entrance, as you noted. And by preventing market entrance, you stifle that competition. Now you'll have government de demanding, essentially, and structuring, essentially, that industry to produce what it wants from AI. 
Now, mm. usually what the government wants is not necessarily in keeping with what benefits the economy. Or what I we mean, want. Exactly. The old, the old canard is, I'm from the government, I'm here to help. You know? <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think so. Sc- the, the scariest <laughs> sentence, huh? Is that Reagan? Now, this, is, this has been happening in, a, in, in the United States, and I gather in Europe and elsewhere, for a while, where once a, an organization, a company becomes huge, I, I think the Standard Oil may be an example yep. of that and others, uh, then they start asking government to interfere. Oh. Right. Well, you see that in industry after industry. You see it in the telecommunications industry historically with the Bell system, uh, with the revolving door between regulators and industry. You see it now, especially in the COVID era, uh, with the regulators and the swinging door between the pharmaceutical Mm. industry and the so-called regulation bodies uh, that supposedly keep us safe from bad pharmaceuticals, which, as you can see, case in point, did exactly the opposite. We ended up with dangerous pharmaceuticals that contributed to unknown numbers of large numbers yeah, of deaths worldwide still, right now. It's yeah. not even complete. We're still, we're still dealing with this. Now we're seeing this enormous executive order, which runs well over 100 pages from the Biden administration, demanded by a dangerous industry that is already unaccountable and in, implicated in censorship, widespread against anyone even slightly left of the Communist Party, or the right of the Communist Party. Mm. Now they're, they're, they're wanting to be protected by government so that they can you know, produce AI tools that are in accord with what the government's wishes are. That, to me, is the frightening aspect of this right there. That's that's dangerous, and that should be opposed. Now, you also mentioned Montesquieu and the, the accumulation of power in the executive branch. Uh, this is something that has been happening historically for well over 100 years in the United States of America. It runs completely counter to our constitutional system of government as expressly designed by the founding fathers. Uh, James Madison pointed directly to Montesquieu and in, in why they set this up exactly how it was. He wanted to keep those legislation powers out of the executive branch. This is an example. This EO is an egregious example of that trend moving legislation out of Congress into the hands of the presidency. And do we really want any president, let alone someone like Joe Biden, to have that (laughs) level of power? Especially that guy. What is in it the most for for the globalists? You know they're always looking for an angle. In addition to obviously controlling the market, which is is a, is a great uh, benefit to them, what else, how else can they benefit from something like this? Uh, political propaganda through deep fakes. You know, the, the EO makes some overtures to ma- wanting to keep people safe from that. But in reality, what does this really uh, allow people to do? It allows a pol- powerful centralized government to use deep fake technology from AI mm-hmm. for political propaganda. And on the other side of that coin, you see this EO specifically calling out what is essentially diversity, inclusion, and equity. Yeah, yeah, which, that's concerning, yeah, isn't it? That is building into these AI tools the automatic ability to censor anyone, again, slightly to the right of the Communist Party, which is yeah. basically what that boils down to. So you have the ability to augment existing political propaganda and automate that through AI, while also simultaneously squelching dissent, completely mm-hmm. squelching dissent automatically at a level that, you know, even though we've just lived through and continue to live through the age of increased censorship that's being forced on us by the federal government forcing social media companies to censor, that goes that goes hyper powerful in the age of AI, and we haven't seen anything yet. That's that's going to be much more concerning. Is this even constitutional? Because it wouldn't this isn't this the kind of thing that Congress would need to determine? Like, if the government is going to regulate, that means it's going to put a lot of resources, and it's going to make various decisions on on how to do that. Wouldn't this be a legislative process? Or, or absolutely, it should be. Absolutely. Uh, but again, we've had you, you, one of the things that you've shown on the screen was the idea of the unitary executive and the idea of centralizing power within the executive branch. You know, 
there's been tendencies for this going all the way back, you know, even to the founding era. Some of the early founders wanted to do that. Alexander Hamilton was a big, strong proponent of a much more uh, robust executive branch. This is taking that to the extreme and continuing that trend. Ultimately, you know, historically we've seen other republics, republics you know, going all the way back to the Roman era where the Senate and the Roman Senate was essentially eventually made uh, irrelevant uh, mm. in, in the age of the empire. Is the that Senate, where we're going, you think? We're totally going in that direction. This is exactly that same trend taking place here in our own country. And I think all Americans, all American citizens need to be aware and need to be uh, engaged to prevent that from happening. Otherwise, we lose our representation. So... To recap here, the answer to the potential for AI to go rogue or be harmful is to let the free market reign and do its thing and it'll take care of that. Is that correct? Absolutely. We, we have one really good example from a number of years ago, which was, you know, some people remember who are older, this was the, uh, uh, the millennium bug, so-called, when Y2K was supposed to wipe out computer yeah. systems. This was exactly the same thing. There were calls wall-to-wall for government to do something about that. It has to save us. Government has to save us. But the answer was not, never government. It was the free market because... Thank you, Dennis. Yeah, all these companies wanted to fix it themselves, and, and, they, and they did. After this, is China preparing to attack Taiwan? The John Birch Society has been working tirelessly since 1958 to preserve freedom, safeguard the Constitution, and restore our God-given rights. We continually educate voters and lead the freedom movement. Join us as we work against a tyrannical one-world government. United as one, we can defeat this conspiracy against a free America. JBS founder Robert Welch said, education is our total strategy and truth our only weapon. Join us in restoring this great nation. Yesterday, China sent 43 warplanes and seven ships near Taiwan in another large drill directed against the small nation that Beijing claims rights over. The Hill reported that the military drill is the latest against Taiwan, which has been self-governed since 1949 after its people fled Chinese communist rule. The CCP claims that Taiwan is part of China, and over the years it's made clear that it intends to take Taiwan back by force if necessary. The Associated Press reported yesterday that China's military maneuvers are designed to break down Taiwanese morale by exhausting its personnel and wearing down its equipment. News of the latest drill came just two days after a Chinese military official warned that no matter who tries to split Taiwan from China in any form, China and the Chinese military will never allow that to happen. China could ratchet up its aggressive stance toward Taiwan to an all-out invasion. If this happens, will the U.S. end up in an all-out war on the other side of the globe? Last month, Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina had this to say. Support our friends in Israel. We need to have real border security for our own safety. We need to upgrade Taiwan's defense to deter China. We also need to make sure Putin is stopped in Ukraine, defeated in Ukraine. My goal is to do all of those things. Well, Gary, should we do all of those things? Well, Paul, <laughs> if we were to do all those things, do you know what would happen? we would speed up the bankruptcy of America oh. because we cannot afford all those things. We cannot afford to do it. Well, we can't afford what we're doing now, can we? No, we <laughs> cannot. But uh, there are certain things that are priorities. And uh, the four things that uh, Senator Graham, who is uh, a neoconservative. Yeah, and a war uh, hawk. And a war the hawk. Biggest war uh, hawk. The four things that, that he listed. What is the really most important thing? Obviously, it's defending our own borders. Oh, yeah. It's doing something about this immigration well, I'm glad he at least mentioned that. Yeah. That was uh, very we nice. Have to do that it's because, still one of the things he wants yeah, to do. Yeah, because the survival <laughs> of America is, the, is dependent 
uh, upon having borders. How do you have a country if you don't have a border? Yeah. And why would we be defending borders of other nations if we're not defending the borders of the United States of America? Do you really want to go into all the whys of why we're doing all these crazy things? Go, Christian. It's true that Senator Graham did mention border security, yeah, that was but nice. we would have a far more border security if we weren't worried about the borders of other nations. Because one of the other aspects besides bankrupting America is the fact that we are spreading our forces too thin. If we get involved in a hot war in Ukraine against Russian forces by sending troops down there, uh, over there rather, that's less troops we have to defend our homeland should there be any in kind of attack here in the mainland. The same thing with our Air Force. If our Air Force is over there protecting Israel, protecting Ukraine, protecting Taiwan, how much of our Air Force would be left to protect And don't North forget America? the Philippines. There's been talk of the Philippines recently too. So e Exactly. So we have to be concerned about our own national security first and foremost before we start looking at the national security concerns of other countries, which, which by the way, have their own militaries that are well-financed and well-armed to begin with. I'll, I'll, Part of it, bit well financed by us, I, I mean, especially out in, in in Taiwan. What are the chances that Ta that China is not going to attack uh, Taiwan, try to take Taiwan before there's any chance of a legitimate election in 2024, and someone in, uh, someone other than Joe Biden comes to power? <laughs> I know that's a weird speculative question. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's uh, I think there's a very good chance that China could could attack, and not only for the reason that you gave. Uh, but also to keep the regime in power. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because they can use uh, the United States and, and they can use uh, Taiwan uh, is, is the, the bad guy, so to speak, in order to uh, rally the Chinese people behind the, uh, the Ch Chinese uh, communist regime. Yeah, we're going to keep our eye on this. Let's look at our final story. So Africa has been Bill Gates' testing ground for decades. The software tycoon has poured billions of dollars into the continent's vaccination, climate change, abortion, and industrial farming programs. His latest endeavor is leveling against the people of Kenya, a digital ID program. On Tuesday, the pilot phase of the system called Maisha Namba began for Kenyans who have turned 18 years old and those seeking duplicate ID cards. But the goal is to implement the new ID system so that every Kenyan is assigned a unique personal identific identification number, usually at birth. The digital ID will be used to access a range of public and private services, including enrollment in educational institutions, health insurance, taxation, and social security. The digital card will be biometric. Here's Kenyan President William Ruto explaining how it will work. Already, um, the digital ID, which has been a big problem to us for a very long time, is now on a testing mode for the next two months. I have been assured by all the stakeholders led by the ministries concerned that by December we will be able to launch digital ID where every Kenyan don't have to carry any paper, plastic or otherwise as an ID that they should be able to be identified digitally using their iris or their fingerprints, and we can transact without the necessity of people struggling to identify who they are. And um, the most, the proudest part of it is that we don't have to spend the billions that we have spent on all the other 
Manenos, as all of you know. The Canadian Daily Post reported that Gates' role in the development and rollout of the digital ID program was announced after a series of closed-door meetings with the Kenyan president. The chairman of the Kenya Catholic Doctors Association told the Children's Health Defense that this program will also operate as a vaccination tracking program. Privacy attorney Greg Glaser criticized the Kenyan government's ID program and told the outlet that controlling people means controlling ID. He said, quote, Biometric ID is to future dystopian society as batteries are to your TV's remote control. Without the batteries, the remote control does nothing. With biometric ID, dystopian technology fails. Social credit scores, central bank, digital currencies, smart devices, and the Internet of Things, all of these are rendered useless without the ability to integrate the masses into new technology systems through biometric identification. Gentlemen, this is really, really concerning, and I don't know how, why the Kenyan uh, people, are, the leaders are doing this to their people. I mean, do they not know the dangers, what, what's at stake here? I guess they don't. I don't know. You can't speak for them, I suppose. What, what do you think, Gary? Well, I want to ask this question in response. How about the rulers of Soviet communism or the rulers of Nazi Germany? Right. Papers. Or, or the rulers, rulers of... Uh, uh, communist China, and uh, on and on and on. Uh, were they really operating in the best interests of their citizens, no. uh, other people? And of course, the uh, the obvious answer is not. And we see that in history, Paul, over and over and over again, that there is this huge difference between the rulers and the people. Well, and no. I would say that's what we're seeing now in Kenya. Uh, you know, are, are, these dict- are these people in, in Kenya really interested uh, in what is best for their own people? Christian, did you notice how he said that the best part about this is they don't need the money to do it? So I wonder where that money is coming from, huh? That's probably <laughs> the, that probably answers your first question as to why they're doing this, uh, because they may not have to pay for it out of their own taxpayer base or out of their own treasury. Mm-hmm. The money's coming from overseas, from foreign governments, probably the United States, uh, you know, the, the stakeholders. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's not, it, it, if it's free for them, um, that is a huge incentive as to why they're going to do but it. But is it more than that? I mean, I, at this point, it's, I, I don't think we've done any reporting to verify the fact that this is this goes beyond just paying for the programs. Perhaps there's incentives, financial incentives for the people of Kenya to level this against their own, for the leaders of Kenya to level this against the people of Kenya. Yeah, this isn't too uh, different from the move we have here in the United States to have the same thing happen through uh, Real ID, where initially after 9-11, the federal government wanted all st- they wanted a national ID program, and the way that they decided to do so would be through driver's licenses. So it still looks like it's at the state yeah. level, but they all have to uh, abide by the federal uh, regulations. Mm-hmm. And you have to give all this biometric data, and any society that has to, where citizens have to surrender their biometric identity is a society that is no longer a free society, because this is all leading to technocracy, where the government controls every aspect of the individual, where he or she moves, what he or she is doing, they will all be known by the state. This does not lead to more freedom, it leads to less freedom. Well, at least uh, to freedom from, from having to carry your plastic ID, apparently. <laughs> Next up, Christian Gomez discusses the latest JBS legislative alerts. Sophia paused before the door. It read, Department of Biodigital Convergence. Just inside was a new world, a better world, the one of everlasting life, of no pain, of no loss, of no problem. 
She entered the chamber and her surroundings changed. She saw around her an infinite field of waving golden grain surmounted by cloudless blue sky. The AI voice whispered gently in her mind, Welcome to the singularity. She couldn't see it and couldn't feel it, but her body had almost instantly been covered by a swarm of tiny gray multi-legged bots that melted through her clothes and into her skin. Not perceiving the nightmare, her eyes had already been consumed and the rest of her body was dissolving as the bots digested her flesh. She felt only a warmth suffusing her being. Drowsy, she drifted to sleep, and her last thought was one of panic. Would she ever wake? Could a nightmare vision like this be an outcome of the much-hyped transhumanist technological singularity? Enter the world of the future as illuminated by the experience of the past in Endgame. The new book by Dennis Barrett, the publisher of The New American Magazine, and find out how the disastrous COVID pandemic response fits with the technocratic elite's thirst to create a transhumanist utopia. Get Endgame from shopjbs.org with free shipping with code ENDSHIP, E-N-D-S-H-I-P. Or get Endgame and the Great Reset Collector's Issue of the New American Magazine and get free shipping plus an additional 20% off both with code N20, E-N-D-2-0. Join me to discuss legislative alerts is JBS Research Manager Christian Gomez. Christian, looks like Gary left. It's just you. The mic is all yours. What the? What's the latest legislative alert that people should know about? Well, um, it's actually one of our existing alerts, but it, it becomes all the more imperative to uh, pass it. Actually, there's just there's three alerts. Oh, wow. Um, but the main one really is our slash unconstitutional uh, federal spending alert. That's the mm. primary one. The other two I'll just mention in case I don't get to them later. I'll mention it now is the uh, no foreign entanglements in Ukraine support uh, House Resolution 113, which is a resolution from uh, Congressman Matt Gates. the... Um, Ukraine fatigue resolution to stop funding Ukraine. Oh, I like that one. Huh? And then the other, the third one is the oppose U.S. foreign aid and intervention in Israel. Uh, sorry, in Israeli Hamas war um, mm-hmm. legislative alert that we have right now. And the reason I'm mentioning these three right now is because the election of the recent election of Mike Johnson of Louisiana as a Speaker of the House. So now that we have a Speaker, the House can get back to work, which of course is usually a detriment to liberty as they keep passing bills they shouldn't be passing for more unconstitutional laws and, and, and unconstitutional uh, spending because foreign aid is unconstitutional. But even outside of foreign aid, all the the omnibuses and all the uh, domestic spending, most of that is unconstitutional. And of course, the pressure's already on to, for Speaker Johnson to pass uh, various appropriations bill and to make sure that there's sp- spending in all of them for Ukraine and Israel. So, do um, we have any idea um, what Speaker? Any indication of how Speaker Johnson's going to vote on some of this? It sounds like he's he's pro uh, foreign aid spending. Is that correct? Yeah, he is pro foreign aid spending, unfortunately. The only difference, um, well, the only um, apparent surface difference, I'll say, uh, between um, Kevin McCarthy and and, and Mike Johnson when it comes to the the foreign aid and the defense spending is that um, Kevin McCarthy was probably more likely to combine Ukraine with Israel, whereas uh, Mike Johnson is insisting that funding for Israel should remain, that there should be a separate bill, clean bill that's just... Israeli spending, um, because there's many Republicans that would rather only spend on that, even though I don't think they should anyway, uh, but not Ukraine. So he wants to separate what, what's, the two. What's the reasoning behind that? Why only support Israel and not Ukraine? What? Do, how do they justify that? Do you know? 
Well, there's many in the Republican Party who um, uh, are. are, It's funny. I I quite, I kind of don't almost don't understand it because they could see the fallacies of sending the aid to Ukraine, but they don't see the same fallacy when it comes to Israel. I think the difference is probably a religious one in that there's many more Republicans tend to have a be, be more supportive of Israel for. Uh, for, for religious evangelical reasons, for, you think? Yeah, evangelical religious reasons. So that could be, I think, is a huge motivating factor mm. for why more Republicans are willing to perhaps spend on that, but yeah. not on Ukraine. Do you find it interesting that Mike Johnson is a certified constitutional scholar and he has no qualms with all this foreign aid, which was never part of the vision of the founding fathers who established our our, govern, our government. It's very revealing and it's very disappointing. I mean, you can look at Mike Johnson's Freedom Index score in the New American. It, it may be, actually it is slightly higher than Kevin McCarthy's, John Boehner's, Nancy Pelosi's, Paul Ryan's, but he uh, it, it's, it's still not a fantastic score like you would find, let's say from like a Matt Rosendale or Thomas Matthew or, or an Andy Biggs. Uh, uh, as, Mike Johnson has voted for numerous unconstitutional uh, uh, resolutions and, and spending bills, and he is a big uh, military guy, overseas interventionist. Uh, he's voted for a, a lot of that throughout his uh, his his four terms, yeah, um, in the House of Representatives. All these legislative alerts are obviously related to spending. Um, is there any point, like the casual listener or viewer, they're like, look, they're not going to stop this, but. We don't believe that, right? We wouldn't be doing this if we don't think that at some point we can turn the tide. I mean, you can look at the, for instance, the abortion battle, and lots of people said, stop it. It's been 50 years. You're not overturning Roe v. Wade. We hear it with get us out of the UN. Mm -hmm. It's like, stop it. It's been (laughs) 70, 80 years. It's not happening. And obviously that hasn't happened yet, but I think we're building up to that. is there any chance that at some point we get more, what's it going to take? Is it going to take more Matt Gates's, more Matt Rosendale's, more uh, Biggs to finally get to a point where there's enough pressure in Congress to say we must stop spending? That's the JBS solution. The JBS solution is that the House is the key and that an educated electorate is necessary to take back our republic. So in areas where people like Matt Rosendale and Thomas Massey, Andy Biggs and Matt Gates are elected, obviously the electorate there knows enough to vote for someone of that caliber who's going to defend the Constitution more times than not. So we need to increase our educational efforts throughout the country because, I mean, think about it. Back in the the 1990s, you look at the Freedom Index published in the New American Magazine, typically there would be one no vote against all the unconstitutional spending. Dr. Ron Paul from Texas. Now we have- The Lone Ranger. Yeah, now now it's not just a Lone Ranger. We have uh, several good men willing to stand up, and, and ladies as well, willing to stand up against the tyranny. So there's many good members of Congress, uh, and that's more than what we had just years ago. So we we increase those efforts, and uh, we'll we'll stop all this nonsense. Yeah, I, and, and that's that's going to take some time, but I see that building now with Gates. Obviously, with the ousting of McCarthy, I think I wonder if that was like a canary in the coal mine, saying, okay, we have reached a point where there is going to be a serious push to stop unconstitutional spending because we've been going on about it for forever. I mean, Gary wrote a great op-ed back in the 80s and then probably another one in the 90s and I've read them and, you know, everyone's freaking out and never, nothing really kind of happened. We kept spending, but it seems like we might be reaching that. Let's talk about these legislative alerts. We have them on our website, jbs.org. Is it under take action or? Yes, under take action. And and how do they work? Because let's flesh it out because you guys provide a uh, multiple ways 
for people to pressure the legislators to contact them. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you go to the website, there may not be a lot of activity on the homepage, but don't let that fool you. We have all these tabs, and one of them is a Take Action tab, and we have uh, uh, a tab for alerts, and we have a federal alerts tab and, a, and an alert for state le- for, for state yes. alerts as well at the state level. But when it comes to the federal, uh, when you click on one of those, let's say the federal government, because we're talking about federal alerts today, there's a whole list there of different legislative alerts that we ask people to take. So there's a little art, usually there's a headline, a picture, a small little article giving you information about mm. the subject of lots of lots hyperlinks. of hyperlinks, yeah. lots of information. So wherever, we, so we back up what we say. We're not just making it up out of thin air. And then you can click uh, the Take Action Now button on that page to uh, send a pre-written message. But it's editable. We we encourage you to put it in Taylor, your own make words. It your own. But if you absolutely refuse to put it in your own words, you can at least. Or send you don't out, have the time. Or you don't have the time. You know, you can still send the pre-written uh, mm. one or make light tweaks with whatever you want to do and. Not just that, you have the ability on that same, after the pre-written message or your your new message goes out to the um, your House member and U.S. Senators, you're able to do uh, send a phone call right then and there. Make a phone call? Yeah, and, and also a video call as well if you wish to do that. What do you mean send one. a phone call? Like you could record it and send it or you uh, mean so make you, a phone you click on the button and the, the service we use will call your phone and it'll it'll start calling uh, mm. the, the 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 House member and the in the two U.S. senators it's to their to their direct uh, office lines in D.C. and you hopefully speak to someone on the other end whether it's a staff member or if it's after hours leave a voicemail and it, and it proceeds to the next individual yeah. because a lot of times even when for um, when they get phone calls that means that it's very important to the public for every phone call they get they they probably believe that there's ten to twenty if not more constituents that think exactly the same way as this individual so. Phone calls are very, very key, even more so than the than the written email. Yeah, they take notice. We've heard, um, it was a couple of years ago where we heard from a state legislator down in Kentucky, and she's not the only one who say it's like, they pay attention. They start hearing. You start calling, they start hearing, and, and they start to notice that this is something that their constituents care. We have to do this. In, in combination with if you can and you have an opportunity to go to the Capitol, too, and meet with them personally, right? We've had members do that. That's even more powerful. Yes, yes. And so what you guys are doing is awesome. You know, you're the research manager, so you kind of overlook this part of the operation. But like you said, we have federal alerts, and then we have state alerts. And if you go to JBS.org and you go under Take Action, you'll see legislative alerts and it's just the most amazing tool that with the freedom index i think that alone if people were to implement that we could really start turning things around and we already have uh, but i think we need more people to implement that thank you christian thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of new american daily for more truth behind the news make sure you go to newamerican.com we hope to see you tomorrow